I know Warren never uh, loses his chance to take a pot shot when I'm not here, so I was fully expecting. I don't even a, think that was a pot shot. Yeah, you know, I was fully expected some, you know, some kind of shot across the bow. But hey, you know what? I'm back here, ready to roll. And uh, what was surprising to me was the host country of France. There was French French families there with uh, uh, USA jerseys on, which I thought was pretty cool, pretty interesting. Why do you, did you talk? Why were they? Uh, I guess you did. You know why they were wearing like American jerseys? Are this were they grateful for the help in World War II, or were they just uh, <laughs> were they just were they just cheering on the U.S. since they both have red, white, and blue? They stink so bad you can't even make it up. Now here are your host of the short thing, Warren Shore and Ryan Silva. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to another edition of The Shore Thing right here on Talk Radio 1190. I'm your host, Warren Shore, here, as always, with Ryan Silva, and we have a great show planned for you today, as we always do on this Sunday night. We are going to be joined coming up in about 10 minutes by Kirk Sampson, the New York Times bestselling author, who has a new book out on Tiger Woods. It is called Roaring Back. The fall and rise of Tiger Woods, taking pretty much from 2009 when he lost to Y.E. Yang in the uh, PGA Championship to his win at Augusta uh, at the Masters this past year. So that's where to cover. So we'll have him on. He has written many golf books, as he is a New York Times bestseller. He's a freelancer in the Golf Digest. Uh, he's been in the Avid Golfer magazine, wrote a book, uh, War on the Shore. It is about the 1991 Ryder Cup at Kiowa Island. Very, very good book. Also uh, helped write the uh, George Carl biography that made a lot of uh, uh, rounds. Ryan, do you remember when he was making the, ro- the rounds about that, the George Carl book? Uh, I do not. Okay, well, it was on Sports Center a lot. He was calling out a lot of people, so he he helped George Carl with that. A lot of books. So we'll have him on to talk that. And it's it's present. The book came out on Tuesday. You can go buy it, Amazon, wherever else you want. Um, and Tiger won last week, so it's a good time to have him on here. We're going to go around the NFL and around college football ranks. And then we'll talk Mavs. They had a, uh, it was a ref-aided loss, you could say, on Friday night. That'll be the last segment at uh, 6.45. And I, I like there's only so much you can complain about the refs. But it was a great game between the Mavs and the Lakers. We'll touch on that then. They're currently up five on the Cavs in the second quarter in the fortress that is Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Cavs have yet to lose in that place this year. Uh, But first, Ryan, how was your uh, weekend? I know you are patiently awaiting to head to Popeye's after the show. Lines across the country are ridiculous. Yeah, just uh, I caught a peek just now on Twitter. I was kind of rolling time or trolling the timeline kind of see uh, what was going on out there. But yeah, um, definitely been looking forward to it all weekend. Uh, got in a decent workout all week today when so they I came out when it came out. Well, yeah, I mean all week for sure. But the closer and closer it gets, you know, it's like a kid on Christmas. Like Christmas is almost around the corner. Uh, I'm still Team Chick Fil A through and through. But hey, you know what? These these chicken sandwiches is pretty good. Hit up Hertz Donuts today. Was in the Frisco oh, that's area. Good. Was in the Frisco area. I'm coaching a uh, middle school team for a tournament next week. We had to go pick up the jerseys and all that stuff. So I was right up the road at Scottish Rite Hospital. Rolled my way over to Hertz Donuts and uh, picked up a few donuts. Yeah, well, they're good. I brought them into the office once before, I think. Once you did? Twice, yeah, yeah. Uh, before. 
Yeah, I got uh, Jamie's a big fan of birthday cake flavored stuff. And they had a birthday cake one, so I got her that. Some salted caramel. I housed uh, an old fashioned donut, which is probably my favorite. And they had like a little buttermilk bar or something like that. Housed that too. Got some waiting for me at home right after the Chick Fil A or right after the uh, Popeyes. Looking forward to it. Big day of eating. Yes, and <laughs> uh, I will say that uh, um, I saw a tweet about the one the the Popeyes at Little Elm. Yeah. They said it was uh, no drive-through. Mm-hmm. You had to go inside to get the chicken sandwich, cash only, and what? it was a forty-five-minute wait, and people were still waiting. Unreal. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping the, the Princeton one isn't too bad. I mean, nobody in Princeton's listening to this show because, unfortunately, signal doesn't work. <laughs> reach out there. Well, the signal doesn't reach a lot of places now since the powers they powered down the station. But even two weeks ago, when it was you know when it was cranked up, yeah. we couldn't get it out there. So hopefully nobody's listening. So that they uh, nobody from Princeton anyway. So uh, that, uh, I feel like Popeyes though should have just not announced when it's coming back and just started selling it. And have just take the signs off, like oh, and then have it word of mouth come out instead of everyone just like a mad rush on the stuff. They might they, Popeyes might consider going twenty four hours. <laughs> they aren't going to be able to hold that, that much food, just, like the sandwiches that much. Yeah, I mean there comes to a point when how many all these people are there for the sandwich? Like, you got to have a ton of sandwiches on the on the on the spot, right? Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what their hold time is. Uh, I mean, it can't be longer than five or six minutes hold time for those uh, sandwiches to stay crispy. So they just got to be dropping them in the grease over and over again. But. Yeah, I don't know. Well, wild, wild, wild out there. All right, so we'll dive into the show here. Uh, Cowboys play tomorrow night against the New York Giants as they are six-point favorites. And coming off the bye week, uh, it was a pretty uneventful bye week. And I will say, though, that it could have been a home run of a bye week. Well, would you still consider this coming week, like leading up in practice till the bye week when the Jamal Adams stuff went through? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, they were like we talked about on, on Thursday, we both thought they should have gone for Jamal Adams. You're not going to have – you're probably not going to draft a safety that is better than Jamal Adams. Um, so – but they didn't. They couldn't give up enough picks, or they didn't think what was right to give them enough picks. So that's that's tough. But the thing I want to talk about here is what are your thoughts? We talked about Tristan Hill last Thursday or last Sunday with Dalton. Go check out that interview, Apple Podcast, a short thing where we host all our shows. A really good uh, interview. But Tristan Hill, second round pick, not a lot. Didn't really need to draft him. Another interior lineman. He had red flags about work ethic issues in college at UCF. Marinelli gave him the seal of approval. He showed up late twice and fell asleep when motivational speaker Isaiah Thomas came and speak to it. And it was so bad that Isaiah Thomas had to tell him to wake up. That's never good. Not a great look. And he got sent home this week. And uh, just not a good look from your second round pick when you need him to be producing. Who was their first pick, right? Yes, their first. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, so your first pick in the draft, but a second rounder, you need those guys to hit and try hard the whole time. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you I mean, second round guys, you can get a lot of first round talent in the second round. Um, I'm sure that's what they were probably hoping for here with Tristan. But, yeah, I mean, the fact that you have red flags coming in already, uh, usually guys like that have shorter leashes. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, if he has a bad showing, if, you know, I don't cutting a second round guy who was, like we said, your first pick just, you know, half a year in. I don't see the Cowboys doing that, but uh could get pretty hairy for him. Um I don't know, shifting to the to the Giants game to the game tomorrow night. 
I think a huge part of it is going to be that defensive line getting pressure on on Daniel Jones uh, between uh, Demarcus Lawrence, Robert Quinn, um, and uh, Malik Collins. I feel like if they can control the line of scrimmage of that them being the defensive line, I think the the Cowboys take this game handedly uh, because it's the the Giants are getting are getting Sterling Shepard back, which is another weapon for for uh, I Daniel thought he Jones. Was, said he was out though today. Oh, I heard that he was back in. Then that, oh, really? Then so that that was going to take away uh, targets from uh, from Golden, Golden Tate. Tate. Let me check Schefter. So maybe I misread it. Okay, yeah. Uh, but anyway, so if Sterling Shepard is in, like you said, like I said, uh, that's another weapon for Daniel Jones. But if um, the Cowboys can overpower that offensive line, which is very susceptible to being overpowered, I think that's the key to victory right there. Because then they can let the secondary kind of. Not sit, but you know, kind of be a little bit more comfortable and 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 uh, kind of work their magic the way that they need to. Meaning that there isn't a whole lot of magic for the Cowboys secondary to work, but it makes their job a lot easier in that secondary once um, you get a, a good pass rush up the middle. Obviously, you got to keep Saquon at bay. That's tough to do, but he alone is not going to be able to beat you. If you if Evan Ingram and Golden Tater are catching passes, and if Sterling Shepard is playing and he's catching passes, um, who's this other guy? Uh, Slayton that that's come on of late. That's caught a couple touchdowns for the uh, for the Giants. If if they can just hold those outside threats and even up the middle uh, with a slot receiver at bay, I think the Cowboys should be able to walk to victory, no problem. Um, Sterling Shepard is in concussion protocol, so he's out tomorrow. Night. Oh, he is out. Okay, yes, he's back in concussion protocols, so he is out tomorrow night. But yeah, I think, and it's not like the uh, you could, it's not like the Giants have been lighting it up. I feel like still a lot of us are thinking that Daniel Jones against Tampa Bay was like, that's who he is. And when he's really played kind of poor against them, like he, they were dominated pretty much the whole game by the lions. And he had a last ditch effort, like to come back to, they covered in that one. It's just, he's, he's played fun. He's played okay, but the Cowboys defense, this is where you should get some turnovers on, um, on Daniel Jones defense, create more turnovers, get some short fields for the team. And I really am curious how the offense if they continue a first half, um, the slow starts in the first half like they've had, or off the bye week, you got to come out, you got to come out hot, especially that, against a division opponent for sure. Um, Eagles won today, so that yes. that puts more pressure on the Cowboys. I I, I t- wholeheartedly agree. I think they need to do much like they did last week against the Eagles, or excuse me, their last game against the Eagles. And if they can start with the ball first, do it. Get up early. Get up early and stay ahead early. I mean, I, I know it's you might be looking at the Giants. I know fans might be taking the Giants a little lightly just because of um, who they have at quarterback and what their record is right now. But I think if you can get off to that hot start and just keep the foot on the gas, that's that's going to be huge for the Cowboys to uh, keep that game up on the Eagles. Yeah, and uh, I mean, you already have the head-to-head tiebreaker so far against the Eagles, but you just need to build some momentum. I feel like, like the offense was so hot, and I don't want to say they lost confidence, but it's it just feels like they just lost a little. Maybe they did lose a little confidence in that three-game losing streak. They got it back against the Eagles. They just need they just need something, and I mean, they did lose their last time. They did go to New York against the Jets. I mean, you got to think that they're going to want to. I know it's a different the, the Giants, but you got to think they're going to want to avenge how they played in New York against the Jets, and the Jets are terrible. They stink. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if that's going to be in the back of anybody's mind. I think they're just looking at it as, hey, these are the Giants. Yeah, we're back. We're we're back in the stadium where we, you know, suffered probably one of our worst losses, uh, meaning, uh, you know, like embarrassing losses, I guess. Um, 
just a couple weeks ago in this place, but I think they're they're just looking at it as the Giants are across from them. They should be able to beat them, but hey, not, let's not because just like the Jets, everyone thought that this was going to be a walkover game. You can't take them the Giants lightly, much like you might have against the Jets, or else next thing you know, Saquon's busting off a sixty or seventy yard run for a touchdown. Uh, Golden Tate's catching a bomb for a touchdown, something like that. So you, like I said, start early, keep that foot on the pedal, on the gas, and just uh, you know go for the kill shot early. Don't and, don't don't take anything lightly well, from the jump. And you got to think the Giants are going to run Saquon more than they did in their first time. Yeah, because they just he had a couple of big runs early, but then after that he only had ten carries, ten or eleven carries, I think, in the first game. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think for the Cowboys, they just they can't be too reliant on the run. Like I feel like on first down they rely too much on the run, and they don't really need to do that uh, this time around. So we're gonna take a break here on the short thing talk radio eleven nine. Even we. Come back. We'll have Kurt Sampson on the line as he's here to talk about his new book, Roaring Back, The Rise and Fall of Tiger Woods. So very excited to have Kurt on the show. So that's coming up next here on Shore Thing on Talk Radio 1190. We are back here. On the Shore Thing Talk Radio 1190, Warren Shore here with Ryan Silva here with you till 8 p.m. Central Time. Check us out, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you may listen to your podcast at, at the Shore Thing, where you can hear all of our old shows, all of our old interviews here with Dalton from last week. Coming up, I think we got Merrill Hodge right Thursday. Yes, sir. All right, Merrill Hodge on Thursday, probably Donovan McNabb down the line as well, and uh, been in contact with our buddy Scott Steen, so we get him coming up. Uh, in a week or so. So all that there on the Short Thing Talk Radio, or that's on a Short Thing, just search Apple Podcast or uh, SoundCloud Talk Radio, or the iHeartRadio app as well. All right, so now joining us on the phone line, as I said before, is New York Times bestselling author Kurt Sampson with his new book out. Actually hit stores on Tuesday. Very excited to get to, re- uh, looking forward to reading this. It is Roaring Back, The Rise and Fall of Tiger Woods. Kurt, thank you for joining us on this Sunday night. You're quite welcome, Warren, but I must correct you on the book title. It's uh, Roaring Back, The Fall and Rise of Tiger Woods. Um, fall fall first. Okay, yes. I uh, I said that coming before the break, and I meant to uh, <laughs> say that before that. But, uh, uh, yeah, so I know we've talked a lot. I should say we caddy together, so we talk a lot uh, just in general when we're down there. And I always, when we play golf, I've been asking you, what are you going to write your next book on? And you say, oh, you're trying to get some things with some publishers and along that. It's a very difficult process to write a book, but you've uh, been there before. So how did you come? Was it when you were watching the Masters uh, this April when Tiger won it that you were going to write another Tiger book? No, uh, Warren, not at all. Um, they got in touch with me and asked me, <clears throat> pardon me, if I could write a, a book on a super tight deadline, uh, six months. Um before Christmas so that they could have it um, easily in time for next Masters. Uh, then the, the same publisher came back to me and said, no, we've changed our mind. We want it for this Christmas. Can you do it in two months? Um, so I more or less did. I, uh, it took me 67 days to write uh, the masterpiece uh, you will soon be reading. Uh, I would say that's very, very quick for you, especially because – uh, from just doing some background on it, you weren't really able to talk to Tiger, uh, and you were only talked able only yeah. able to talk to like his close kind of confidants who were there on the tour. So how you got to do like you got to get your your 
background and stuff. So how obviously you're working very, very hard, but just how how did it come together so quickly? The thing is, Warren, uh, Tiger's one of the most interesting people in the world, except when his lips are moving. He is a cliche machine. He is not worth uh, making the effort to talk to. Besides, there are, I think, only three people he does talk to. Doug Ferguson of AP, David Fairty of, uh, I guess, the Golf Channel now, and some third person, uh, possibly his, uh, his priest or rabbi. He certainly wouldn't. There is no way in God's green earth that he would ever talk to me. I, I'd be 100th in line. Uh, besides that, uh, writing an, uh, an unauthorized book about the guy, there, it was never a consideration, and, it didn't, and the book didn't suffer at all. Uh, in my opinion, by by not talking to uh, Tiger, he really didn't have wouldn't have anything to say to me. Yeah, was, sorry, Ryan. Uh, I was I was going to say too because it's interesting that didn't Tiger come out like uh, a couple weeks ago or maybe a month ago saying he's going to write or he's going to do an autobiography by himself too because he said people yeah. were writing a bunch of books on him and he wanted to say, he wanted to talk his own way. So I find it in, I find it interesting. That just the timing of you. I mean, you obviously didn't know that Tiger was going to come out and say that, but how no. these two kind of coincided. No, also absolutely cool. I have a feeling, at least it's possible, that he was reacting to the announcement of my book. Um, you know, uh, introspection isn't really Tiger's long suit. I, 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 he's already written one autobiography. This will be his second. Um, you know. Is he going to talk? Is he going to talk the truth about uh, the women? Uh, um, I, I just don't see it. I, I think he'll be. Um, it'll be the usual thing. Um, I think look, uh, people at arm's length, like me and others, uh, I think um, the, um, those kind of books are, are more worthwhile. Hey, Kurt, Ryan Silva here. Thanks again for coming on. Hi, um, hi Ryan. How's it going? Um, so obviously the tight deadline is tough. Not being able to have direct contact with Tiger is tough. What other either hardships or struggles did you find writing this book? Because a guy as polarizing as Tiger Woods, obviously there's a ton of information on him. There's a ton of stuff you can gather on him. But also that kind of makes it harder because you do have to sift through all the extra stuff when you really want to condense this down and be as precise as possible. So what were what were kind of the hardships and, the, and difficulties that you found writing this book? You know, I, um, I, I, I would have been too tough for me to think of it that way, Ryan. I just uh, would stay positive throughout the process and thought about what I could get. And early on, um, almost immediately, I decided this had to be instant nostalgia for the 2019 Masters. Mm -hmm. That's what this book is, basically. There's some biography in it because of, you know, you read the the subtitle. Um, uh, To to make Tiger's comeback uh, meaningful, you have to consider how how far he dropped, (laughs) which was rock bottom. So that's referred to, but it's not the point of the book. I was able to get great stuff on the 2019 Masters, which blew people away. It set TV ratings records. People love Tiger's win uh, in Augusta uh, last April. Yeah, I mean, it was great. Just as a, I'm a casual, very, very casual golf fan. Um, I'll watch the four majors. Uh, I guess you can call it five with the Players' Championship. Um, but, uh, you know, that absolutely blew me away as well. One thing I will have to, I do have to, or want to ask, something Warren and I have talked about uh, quite a bit on this show is 
Um, obviously, Tiger is going, you know, much like your book states, is back on this rise. Who knows how high or how fast this rise will go? But will he be able to win any tournaments that are full? That are full. Uh, uh, what's the what's the word? Uh, full field events. Full field, full field events. Yeah, rather than you know, like last week, what was it? Fifty or fifty-two? Seventy-eight. Seventy-eight. Something. You know, things like that. Like just from your professional experience, you know, kind of putting your writer hat aside and putting on just like a, a golf analyst uh, uh, hat, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um. I, I'm of two minds. Um, first, that um, Tiger keeps proving us wrong. Um, but second, I know damn well uh, that back isn't going to hold. Um, I don't care how much you train; you'll be 44 in uh, a little in about two months. Um, and he's had, his lumbar discs have been fused together. It always happens that uh, people get arthritis in the area. After that operation, uh, they lose some flexibility. There's, there's pain. Um, Tiger, I, I, my hat's off to him for how hard he trains, um, but he's not exempt from uh, aging. Uh, yeah, I, I think you saw with the schedule this year that he's gonna not very, he's not gonna play a lot of events, so it's gonna be hard for him to get in a rhythm, especially with the condensed schedule with the majors. Yeah. I think he only played like the Memorial uh, in between the. Uh, PGA and the and the U.S. Open, and he didn't play anything between the Masters and the PGA, so he's not playing a lot of yeah. events. The so one thing I I find it curious, or maybe this was a publisher or you, but how did you come to starting the book when he lost to Y.E. Yang at two, in the 2009 PGA Championship? Because the fall, that was the first time he's ever lost a lead when he was tied for it going into a major. Like, Y.E. Yang somehow beat him, and that was, like, shocking. So how did you come out, how did you figure out where to start the book at? Well, actually, Warren, um, I think you're misinformed about where the book starts. Um, Y.E. Yang and the PGA must be, I don't know, 80 pages in. Um, I, I, I start in a totally different way. In my, um, in my dead sprint to finish this book, I took two days off um, and took those days to go to Augusta and, and just get on the ground, talk to people. Um, I got off the plane, and my my friend um, had arranged for me to um, get in a in a single engine Cessna and just do corkscrews above Augusta National and just look at what's going on there. You know, you know, no specific purpose for that other than it wound up being a, a cool way. I decided to uh, start off this book. Uh, yeah, I will say the Amazon review is where I as was. I haven't oh, had a chance yeah. to read it yet, but the Amazon review says <laughs> it starts uh, from yeah, the start. Um, yeah, hey, if you guys uh, uh, Google, um, I guess yesterday's New York Post and um, DailyMail.com in London, um, they reviewed the book in uh, the most um, sensational fashion uh, with, you know, just, I feel a little misused. One of the headlines is um, narcissistic cheapskate <laughs> and a picture of Tiger and a picture of my book. Uh, they cherry picked some things and that's the way that's the way they presented my uh, my my masterpiece as a, uh, as, a as a scandal. Uh, and it's not and it's not that. No, Ryan, looks like you were ready to. No, that's just, that's just that's that's tough. You know, like you say, you you put a lot of hard work in this, and that's that's the quote that they grab. I mean, you know, there's a lot of stuff out there on Tiger about 
you know, pre, uh, I guess, scandal and all things like that um, about him not being, you know, maybe the, the most liked guy or the, or the coolest guy out there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, j- just just the, the fact that that's put out there is, is tough. But, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to read this book. I'm not a huge reader, but, uh, you know, anything with a polarizing athlete, I'm locked in for, so I'm looking forward to getting my hands on this as well. Was it Was it hard for you to get information out of the people you talked to, like, about uh, what happened in, in – uh, like the night of the whole his all off the off the course transgressions and how that all came out was it hard for you to get people to talk about that and how'd you how'd you kind of intertwine that and everything because I mean there's a lot of rumors and stuff going around but how would you try to nail down I don't know what like facts or but how would you try and weave that into the book uh, Warren uh, wasn't a concern I don't work that side of the street and I was uh, wasn't about to start. Um, um, going into the 120 extramarital affairs that Tiger admitted to. It's been so well publicized, I was able to deal with it in a few uh, paragraphs or pages um, in a larger context of Tiger being a, this deeply unsatisfied uh, individual, in my opinion, that um, success was not enough. Um, he, I, I, he must have felt... Uh, empty um um marriage lost its appeal um i don't think he was getting the thrill out of winning golf tournaments which i i think he tried to fill up um, um well he he compensated let's say by um going after every woman that walks how so you you were at the you were on the grounds of augusta is, is what you said uh, earlier so how obviously you've been there uh You've been there before. You've written a book on Augusta National. Everyone should go check that out. It's very good uh, a book. So, how when you're doing your all your talking over there, what nuggets did you find out on the show? Actually, uh, one of my friends is actually Joe LaCava's nephew, so he was in the like clubhouse with Tiger afterwards when they were in there. So he he told us some stories about that. But what did you find out when you were on the grounds uh, at Augusta? The, the, um, as I mentioned before, the, the point of this book and why I think people are going to like it is it's this nostalgia for this great golf tournament. So um, I was mostly interested in that uh, that crazy back nine on Sunday uh, when four of the best five players in the world um, hit it in the damn water on number 12 while in contention. It was just incredible. Tiger was amazingly lucky um, that those, the other guys did that. And all four of them made double bogeys. Uh, Finau, Molinari, Brooks Kepka, and although he shot himself out of it, uh, Ian Poulter. But here are these guys, you know, with a nine iron in their hands, and um, they couldn't make it happen. Um, Tiger aimed left and hooked it, a very conservative shot, um, but the only smart one of those uh, of that group. And the thing is, too, like Molinari was one of the guys that put in the water, and he just went toe-to-toe with Tiger in the final round at Carnoustie and beat him. And that guy didn't look like he was ever going to crack, so somehow he cracked. I don't know if it was under the pressure of Tiger or whatever it was, but he had to, he had to overcome some really, really stone-cold killers on the tour, too, to win the Masters. Um, that's so true. And Molinari had been kicking Tiger's ass for a couple of years. It wasn't just... Um, that open at Carnoustie, it was uh, Ryder Cup. Mm, 
a couple of times in the Ryder Cup, and uh, and one other one other time in which uh, the cold-blooded uh, Francesco uh, brought brought Tiger down. Um, I I, I, um, I tried to get Brooks Kepka to talk to me at uh, Trinity Forest during the Nelson. Um, he more or less blew me off. You'll read about it in the in the book. Um, Molinari, I couldn't get to. Uh, Tiger, I didn't try, but Finau was great. He and I um, spent uh, some time uh, at Colonial, and he was very helpful. Um, so it's um, it's what I could do. I think um, by relying on published stuff, I at least got some more data from uh, how the other guys felt about it. I, I think it's um, it'll be a satisfying read for you. Was there anyone you mentioned you tried to talk to Kepka and Molinari couldn't get to them? Was there anyone that you tried to get to other than those two guys that you couldn't talk to that you wanted to, or was or was there anyone else? No, that, no. no I, I, I usually take a, a year to write a book. This one was sixty-seven days. I had no. I didn't have the luxury uh, to to hear no's. Um, I, I, I just I just went straight ahead and. Got what I could <laughs> of uh, writers. Uh, other writers were much more helpful uh, 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 to me uh, than uh, golf pros ever could be. So, um, you know, the editor of uh, Golf Digest, uh, Jerry Tardy, um, longtime Sports Illustrated writer, uh, John Garrity, uh, some, uh, a couple of other uh, chaps like that were, you know, they're so good and insightful. We got Kurt Sampson here on the Short Thing Talk Radio 1190. His new book, Roaring Back the Rise and Fall of Tiger Woods. Go check it out. Uh, Amazon. Wherever All right. You may <laughs> get your uh, books at. Al, one last question I want to ask. So, when you, it took you 67 days, you said to write it, and it normally takes you a, a year. So, is there a certain amount of time at the beginning? You're like, all right, I got to. Do my I got to find my facts, or is it just just all writing at the begin all writing at the beginning, and you'll enter while you're gathering the facts? How does it? Just it's seemed very condensed. Obviously, you're you're a uh, very experienced and uh, successful writer, but still, for you, this has probably had to have been uh, stressful or just a, a different a different type of book to write. You know, I never did acid when I was a kid, Warren, but um, I was feeling kind of psychedelic by the end of this thing. After all, my my days were entirely composed of writing and sleeping. It was a big deal when I could. Uh, uh, go to the grocery store for a, um, a gallon of milk. I'd, I'd, I'd take my time and try to stretch it out. Uh, you, you said the word uh, why I could do this, and honestly, um, I've been doing it for 30 years, and I've got a bank of knowledge, and it's my second Tiger book, after all. I wrote one um, 17, 18 years ago called Chasing Tiger. So I didn't start from uh, from zero. Well, Kirk, thanks for joining us on the show. Probably not a lot of rounds at Trinity Forest when you were writing this book, I could guess. No, I, I went into retirement. I'm still kind of semi-retired there, but I'll, I'll be there Tuesday, Warren. How about you? I will not be there Tuesday. We'll have to wait uh, another time. Maybe the next Monday it's open for play. We'll see you. I'll see you out there. Uh, who can tell? It would be great. Yes, all right. Thanks for joining us on the show. That's Kirk Sampson roaring back the rise and fall of Tiger Woods. And then when we play a training force, we can lament how poorly coached the Cleveland Browns are, which will probably take us through the whole round. So that'll be fun to talk about. Mm, no.
let's talk about uh, something non-controversial like politics. Oh, even better. <laughs> even better. Even better. All right, Kurt, thanks for joining us on this. So we'll uh, have you back on uh, sometime, hopefully, in the very near future. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Warren. No problem. Always enjoy it. All right, coming up next year. On the Short Thing Talk Radio 1190, we'll dive into uh, college football and what happened yesterday and what to look forward to this week. So that's coming up next year. Short Thing Talk Radio 1190. Thanks to Kurt again. Kurt Sampson, once again, for coming on the Short Thing. Go check out his book, uh, Roaring Back, the Rise and Fall of Tiger Woods. As you can tell, he's... uh, Got a very funny personality. Got a good personality. Uh, yeah, and he doesn't. He hasn't. Doesn't seem like the type to handle any kind of BS. Like he seems like a straight shooter. He's a very straight shooter. He's a very straight I respect shooter. that. Um, and it's very funny when I've caddied with him a couple times. But it's and it's funny when people are uh, like talking about golf and talking about books, and he's just in there and he doesn't say anything. There was one time the guys were talking about a book that he wrote. While he was in the group, oh, and I was like, "Hey, I don't." Uh, I was like, uh, "He's the author. That's the caddy right there." And they're like, "Are you serious?" And I went up to him. I'm like, "Sorry, they were talking about your book. We're on the shore," and uh, I told him you wrote it. And he goes, "That's fine." He he goes, "That's fine. I'll just sell more books." But it was like it was really funny because were they talking I, bad about it or they're just no 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 they it? were loving it they oh. loved it but I, it's also like I don't want them to talk his ear off the whole time right but it was it was very funny all right college football yesterday the game of the day was either Florida and Georgia and then SMU Memphis uh, Georgia won uh, still don't think Florida are frauds Ryan will call Florida frauds but. That mean they, I don't understand how teams are fraud when they're six point underdogs, six and a half. And they lose by what fourteen? They lose by seven. Uh, was it seven? Yeah, seven was the final. Oh, okay. They, they scored with four minutes to go. Oh, okay. I guess I didn't um, miss that. I, I guess I checked out on them as soon as they were down. Uh, yes, down fourteen. Um, so that so now Georgia again driver's seat for the SEC East, and then uh, the other game was SMU, and SMU couldn't stop. Could not. That the final score was not indicative of how the game was played. I don't know. SMU SMU kind of as much as they couldn't stop Memphis, I mean they were answering with their own scores too. But they were down twenty in the fourth. Yeah, I know. They that, put up twenty four in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that's the thing. Like you're down twenty in the fourth and you get some late late touchdowns. That doesn't that's why I say I don't think the final score was indicative. The first half the they first were half was very the much first half they were playing back and forth, then when you get the opening kickoff get run back on you. And I mean, even the first drive of the game, Memphis rolls right down the field, and they they get a goal line stand that's th- that they're able to uh, that they're able to um, overcome. After a review said he was he was um, uh, that th- that he was short of the goal line, but they could not stop Memphis. I mean, they could not stop them all night, which I guess I was su- kind of surprised about. But I, I mean, Memphis' offense is really good. Right. Yeah. I mean, everyone coming into this game was saying that Memphis was going to be able to handle the handle the Mustangs no problem. And like, I mean, I, I I'm one that would disagree um, with you saying you know that the score wasn't. I, I still feel like even though it did get out of hand, it was still close. If that makes sense. Like, no, it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it was close for 45 minutes. Right. So I mean, you know, it's it's tough, but. In perfect SMU pony fashion, even when they let me down, they don't let me down because they got a little push. Yes, you got a push. Uh, That is for sure. And then no upsets. Thought we might have a couple there for a second. I don't know if I thought we were going to have some upsets, but it was was just a boring day of college football. Yeah, it wasn't great. I thought. 
I mean, they were good games. Right. I will say the Pac-12 didn't do what the Pac-12 normally does. And just murder itself? Yes, just self-inflicted wounds as Oregon won and Utah won. And they are fully in the running, I think, for a playoff spot. They are. They are. It's going to, if they both went out, Oregon, Oregon and Utah play and they are in the running because they are dominating teams. So the Pac-12, everyone said the Pac-12 is dead, um, but they're not dead. Oh, the one thing about the Florida game uh, is what I want to say. I should have known when I saw Clay Travis tweet that this is a blood vein lock. Lock. I wanted, I should have said, I'm off Florida. I am switching. Take it off my card because you know when he says he's a blood vein lock. It's going to be a loser. Fade him. Yep. It's going to be a looter. loser. So that's what, I, that's what I'll blame Florida on yesterday. Do you think if Oregon uh, beats Auburn game one, you think they're a top five team right now or a top four team? Uh, it's probably top five. I don't top think they're five. cracking into Bama, Ohio State, Clemson, LSU. and You know what? I think they'd be ranked higher than Clemson. Really? Yeah. Clemson is a, I mean, Clemson's dominated. They haven't beat anyone. Right. So. But, you know, a lot of these AP polls, they go off of what you did last year. I mean, if you're the national champion, it's going to be hard. You're going to have to really have a poor show. But I think that's – you shouldn't think that. Shouldn't, but I, and but I'm not saying you, you. I'm not saying that you agree with, with that logic. Right. But I just – Last year is last year. That was last year's team. They no lost doubt. so many guys. No this is a new. This is a new year. This is a new team. You shouldn't. You shouldn't just say, "Hey, the national champions have to be in the playoff because they're undefeated." Or the no, it should be the four best teams for this college football season. And right now, uh, solely just based on the fact they're undefeated, I would say that they're one of the four best teams. But they're fourth, and I and I don't think anyone would argue when the rankings come out on Tuesday night that they should be fourth. They just don't have the wins, right? And they're not playing as well. And Trevor Lawrence hasn't played great. I mean, they just haven't beat anybody like. I mean, not, they haven't beat anybody like huge. You know, what I mean, yeah, they beat a And M. Um, you know, they're having an okay season, I think, still overall. But that's really their biggest Clemson's biggest win, I would say. I mean, they're blowing. They're finally starting to blow teams out. The last four or five games, they've started to finally blow teams away. So you know, if we're going by the old BCS fashion, they're having some pretty you know substantial wins. But their their record, or excuse me, their schedule has just been so light. I mean, I don't think you can count that against them when when the rest of the ACC just sucks. No, it's it's not it's not their fault that the rest of the ACC uh, is better. But this upcoming week, we're gonna have a big show on Thursday, uh, breaking it down. You got Alabama, LSU. I'm actually looking forward to Penn State, Minnesota. Yeah, it's gonna be a great game. As I think Minnesota, they they're on the undefeated, but who have you really played list? They mm-hmm. haven't really played anyone. Uh, I mean, Ohio State's got a tough task against uh, Maryland. Always tough to go into state co- or uh, to College Park. Just kidding, but uh, uh, there's a lot of good games this weekend, so it should be a good uh, weekend of college football. And uh, for the rankings, come out on Tuesday night in the halftime show or the uh, split in between the games of the Champions Classic. First of all, I cannot believe college basketball is here on Tuesday. Unreal. It is. Un- it is insane. What do you think the uh, what do you think the top four? What do you think the rankings are going to be? Um, LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson. I'll say LSU. Uh, I think here this is the problem. I think if Alabama and uh, LSU weren't playing this week. Oh wait, yeah, yeah, they're going to be playing each other. Well, That's no, right. no, 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 no. But the rankings come out this Tuesday. This Tuesday, as in two yeah. days. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying is if if. The ranking, if Alabama and LSU didn't play this week, I think it would be LSU, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson. But LSU, I think, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson. Yes, Clemson, but okay. I think they want number one versus number two. So it's going to be LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. That's okay. what I, 
Even though the game's not on ESPN, but I just think they want a number one versus number two match. Is it a 2.30 kickoff? Yes, 2.30 oh, kickoff. tough. I mean, that's the primetime SEC, though. So. Nope, because uh, CBS is one primetime game each year, and this year they went with uh, Notre Dame at Georgia, <laughs> which at the time was the highest-rated college football game in the in the country, and I think still is this year in the season. So hmm. they went with that instead of – and no, I don't uh, – SEC execs – or CBS execs probably didn't see this coming from Joe Burrow. I think, I think that should was, listen to the show then, because I was piping and I was bringing his drum all year last year. Um, yeah, but last year wasn't his best year. I mean, I they were they were still. I just saw the future, baby. <laughs> I was just seeing that this guy well, did you was get on a two hundred one future on him. But say what? Did you get a two hundred one future on him to win the Heisman? Not two hundred one. I think I got him at like twenty to one or something like but, that. So when already he was showing that he was a good quarterback this year. Yeah, but then why I mean, didn't you believe in him from week one? I be- I've believed in him. Just go back and listen to the tapes. I've been on I've been on Joe Burrow since last year. I'm not saying and you, you said have- he stunk, huh? You said he stunk. I didn't say he's. Did I say he stunk? Yeah, oh, I said he has a tough time throwing the ball and the things aren't doing. He's not doing well. He was he was a typical LSU quarterback. Right, but now I don't think you can say that about him. No, he's not. They've schemed him, Joe Brady. Has has uh, schemed him up great and yeah, scheming him up open throws. No, yeah, that's how no. much coaching's done. And first of all, I also I'm a Joe Burrow guy with the Ohio State thing. You didn't sound like one last season. That's all I'm gonna say. I'm not I'm not saying one way or the other, but you did not sound like one when I was when I was in the thick of pro Joe Burrow pro Shane because Michelle. I I think you were over you were over selling how good see, Burrow was. To see the potential upside in this guy once he got the right <laughs> oh, scheme around him. <laughs> <Just> saying, <laughs> big time football guy. I was just watching what he how he was playing. Exactly, and you were taking it for surface level. Sometimes you got to dive, dive a little deeper. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know? okay, all right. Well, we come back here on the short thing talk radio eleven ninety. We'll get into the Mavericks as they are playing right now in Cleveland, and we'll talk about the game on Friday night against the Lakers, as some people were calling it a measuring stick. So that's coming up next here, short thing talk radio eleven ninety. Back here, sure thing, Warren and Ryan here with you for about the next 10 minutes. Check us out on Thursday where we'll have Merrill Hodge. The only way you can get that is you have to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, check us out SoundCloud, or the iHeartRadio Podcast app. That's going to be uh, the sure thing. All right, Mavericks, it is 67-65 with about eight minutes to go in the third quarter as they are facing the Cavs. Pretty lively game having on here uh, in the studio. With the big game, though, on Friday, everybody was looking forward to in front of a national TV audience on ESPN. The Mavericks lose to the Lakers 119 to 110. And I am not surprised Luca went off. It's been known that he idolizes LeBron. So I felt like we were going to have a LeBron Luca uh just go go against each other. Right. And uh that's what they got. They lost in overtime. They gave up, they got outscored by nine uh in the fourth quarter. In controversy struck when Dwight Howard pulled Seth Curry. Uh to let Danny Green hit the open three. People were wondering why Rick Carlisle didn't foul. But, I mean, 39-16 and 12 from LeBron. Luka, 31-15 and 13. He had big three. LeBron would answer with a big three. How about when LeBron in overtime, I think it was, they were up like four. He hit the, eye, he hit the three right in the eye hole uh, on Luka kind of in the left wing. I mean, all in all, is a great game. The one thing I would say that you're kind of expecting a little more from Porzingis in that stage. It was like built up as the duos of Davis versus LeBron, Luke and Porzingis. And I mean, really three of the four showed up and I know we're all like Porzingis was a minus 13 on the field, not or on the court, excuse me, not great, but 
I mean, it's still only for them. It was uh, what the fifth game of the year, so he's still getting his legs under him. Yeah, for sure. I I don't think it's you know it's I think it's way too early to push the panic button on Porzingis and thinking that maybe uh, the uh, Mavericks made a mistake here. But I don't Luka, think anyone's saying that. Right, right. So Bob, just you know, in case anyone has some doubt creeping in their mind, let this guy who's been out for a year uh, plus, you know, with a blown out ACL um, and standing at seven over seven feet tall, you know, let the guy get his sea legs underneath him. But back to Friday's game, yeah, I mean that was absolutely electric. Like you said, uh, Luca going up against his, you know. The guy he idolized in LeBron and just absolutely putting on a show. Um, I mean, you can't. You, I think you know, even though it was the fifth game of the season, uh, Friday night's you know national game. Yet that's a big spot for the Mavs and Luca to be in, and for him to show up like that, I think is is great and a good sign of things to come. And I I think we see Luca raising the MVP trophy here in the next two or three years. Yeah, I don't know. May, may I give him a little more time? I think no. I give I give him two to three years. He's winning the MVP. All right, not it's two to three years after this year. So we'll say okay, four okay, years okay, altogether. Okay. Four years together. Okay. Um, so, I thought you were including this year. No, I'll say yeah, like this year, and then the next two or three years. So four years in total. He's wearing. He's raising the MVP trophy. Yeah, I could. I could see that. I mean, he he's going to become one of the most dynamic. Already is one of the most dynamic players in the NBA. Uh, the way he can dribble, he can shoot, he can shoot off the dribble. The way he can pass the ball, he's crafty with it. Um, I mean, it's it's just electrifying, and and I you know I just hope that these this thing keeps rolling for for Luca. Even LeBron had to give him his props after the game, uh, calling him a beast. Yeah, the one thing I don't like about Luca, but it is clearly idolizing LeBron, is boy he complains about the officiating a lot. Yeah, which I feel like a lot of Euros are that way though. I mean they uh, they can, but he's he, I mean he doesn't like something. He'll let you know, and it's just. Which is tired. fine, but it's just people. I I find it funny the same people in Dallas that complain about LeBron for complaining about the officials. Now Lucas, I mean, he's right up there. Oh yeah, already doing it, and it's like, oh no, no, no worries. The one thing about Porzingis, I think, through that we aren't. It's he's also playing center. He didn't play center with the Knicks. Yeah, he's always the four. So like last, he's got to guard Anthony Davis. Tonight he's guarding Tristan Thompson. Tristan Thompson's having a great start to the season. He's having to guard different people then he's then he's he's not used to guarding them mm-hmm. like true centers that's why I, was, I found it surprising that Boban it took him this long to play Boban like his first minutes was against the Lakers I thought you'd see him get some more center minutes a little earlier on just to alleviate because they got no, they're just playing small their other the only other big they got in the team is uh it's Boban and Porzingis that's the only and Dwight Powell you could say but other than that they got Dwight Powell's more of a four though I think yeah but I'm saying they don't they only got really one one center, two centers height wise. I wouldn't consider Porzingis a center just because he's seven three. Like he's more of I think he's more of like a stretch four something. So they, he's Kleber, playing Maxi Kleber. They minutes. like to use him down around the basket a lot too. Huh? Maxi Kleber. They like to use yeah, him. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you think he's? I don't consider him as like a rim rim protector. Nah. More of a stretch four guy as well. It's just he's just having a guard. Like he's guarding Anthony Davis. He's guarding some some bangers down low. Mm-hmm. And it's it's gonna take some time, I think. Oh, 100 percent yeah. Tonight Porzingis is ten points, seven rebounds, he's four of nine shooting. Um but yeah, no, definitely exciting. The building was was electric. What are your thoughts on the new lighting situation at the AAC for TV games? Have you noticed that? Uh no. Is it brighter in there? No, darker. Really? Yeah. See, that's always kinda... tougher. The dark the when it gets darker, you know, it starts creating some shadows and stuff. That's that's tough. Well, it's like the theater type of yeah. Before, it used to be, like, bright. Like, you know, I was so bright in there. Mm. The whole first level was, like, 
completely bright. Now they kind of got a little theater effect going on in there. So like the the crowd is darker. Yeah, the crowd is yeah. So kind of like Madison Square Garden, I feel like is that and kind of, and the Staples Center. Yeah, and that going on. Yeah, that's different this year. I noticed it the first game I turned. I was like, whoa, they changed the lighting in here. Huh? Yeah, no, I was not that observant. I didn't realize it. Yeah, but um, no, it should be exciting. Uh, the next home game. Let me take a look. It is. Uh, I think they're only a one off. They play. Uh, let's see here. Hold on. As we wrap up, think they the got, Mavs make the playoffs? Huh? Think the Mavs make the playoffs? Yeah, I think so. Now with the Warriors, yeah, going down, I think they should definitely make the playoffs. And, um, and but Sacramento they play looks like they stink. Wednesday against Orlando, Friday against New York, and then Saturday at Memphis. So good games coming up. All right, that's going to do it us for us here on the Short Thing Talk Radio eleven ninety. We'll be back here. On these call letters next Sunday night, check us out. Time to go get some Popeyes. Uh, Online, yes, we're off to go Popeyes. So we'll review that on Thursday.